0: Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech.
1: This is E2 Entrepreneurs Exposed, a podcast. Where we speak with all kinds of entrepreneurs and creators doing amazing things in business and beyond. Today, I chat with Connie Steele, a marketing and strategy executive, co-founder of Flywheel Associates, and the host of the Strategic Momentum Podcast. Connie's also been intrigued by the why behind companies and careers that thrive. With over 20 years of combined Fortune 500 mid-size company and startup experience, she has observed firsthand how business is no longer binary, hierarchical or absolute, but nonlinear, collaborative, and what she calls fluid. Connie is also the author of the new book, Building the Business of You, A System to Align Passion and Growth Potential Through Your Own Career Mashup. The first book to help professionals and entrepreneurs navigate the new world of work while aligning personal purpose and professional advancement. Did you know that 64% of millennials have a side hustle? Yes, and that number is a whopping 70% for Gen Zers. We explore what this means for the future of work as well as other great topics in this episode, including the notion of fluidity, the importance of a portfolio career, and diversifying one's passions and interests, what networking has become in the wake of the pandemic, and more. And with that, let's get to the show. So you deviated from a linear path early on. Like if we just look at your educational background, you've got a bachelor of science in math and stats. Then you went to Michigan for a master's in applied statistics. And then you end up in a marketing role at General Mills. So what was going on back then? And I guess this process started for you pretty early on.
0: It did. Being Asian American, true to the stereotype, <laughs> I had to be good at math. That was something that was an expectation of me. And so even though I I think by default, am very right brain, very creative, mm-hmm. uh, artistic. I had to Develop and master the skill of being very analytical and excelling on that front. So that started early. How to we get in math? And when I went to college, the expectation was that I had to have a math major. Didn't want to disappoint my parents. Uh, come from an immigrant. You know, I'm first generation Chinese, and so you know, when you when you have immigrant parents, you you are a reflection of their success, and you know it. So you didn't want to disappoint. My father also has a PhD in economics and statistics. So <laughs> sort of in the family, there was that expectation. So was thrown all these quantitative disciplines to try. Actuary science, finance, accounting, the expectations, take these classes, see what you like. I didn't like any of them. I tried it, didn't click, but I actually took a class in statistics. So it happens my dad, again, has a PhD in statistics, or at least studied that quite a bit, and it clicked. Just because I could see an application, it made sense. I could use it in everyday life. Uh, So that was my other major, but I didn't know what I wanted to do with it. I had no clue. The expectation was that I had to go to grad school because it was very clear to my parents that that progression of higher education was the pathway to success in terms of a solid, steady job that would really provide, you know, the stability and somewhat prestige, I guess. So true story, my junior year, I went to the library and looked at vocational books (laughs) to figure out what in the world I could do. And I stumbled across marketing, read about it. I loved it based on what I read. It helped me understand how data and information, particularly the statistics part of it, could be leveraged to establish new products and services and campaigns to market. All those things that you see on the shelf, there's data behind it. And I loved the creativity that went into it. So I realized, wait, there's a way that I can take my quantitative knowledge and apply it in a way that seemed really fun and exciting. So marketing research was the connective tissue to doing that. So I could see the other side. And those were my favorite classes, honestly. And I also knew at that point that to continue to build on my career, I didn't want to go an academic route. I knew where I could really build these skills. It had to be with the top CPG firms because they were the leaders in marketing, in strategic marketing, in brand management. So that's eventually how I ended up at General Mills doing marketing research.
1: Yeah, in 20 years of combined experience now in marketing across Fortune 500s, mid-sized companies, startups, etc., you've observed firsthand how business is changing, how it's no longer, quote-unquote, binary, as you say, and non-linear, which seems you know in direct conflict to what your parents led you to believe. It's so interesting now that you've authored this new book called Building the Business of You, Uh, A System to Align Passion and Growth Potential Through Your Own Career Mashup, the first book to help professionals and entrepreneurs navigate this new world. What, (laughs) What do your parents have to say about your new hypothesis?
0: So I think there'll be a lot of things that resonate with them because they do understand the importance of identifying what makes you happy. However, they are very much of the mindset still, I believe, where education really does define everything. And I'm, and I'm not saying that it doesn't. I think how people educate themselves is very different now. And through very traditional means may not always be the best path for everyone. What I've learned is everyone learns differently. They need to find you know, that road or they need to find those resources and avenues That best aligned to what helps them the most. No one size fits all. We all know that every person is different. So we can't assume that the traditional paths of educating yourself are going to be the ones that best fit. So that's where I can see us probably having um, some healthy debate is what I would say.
1: What is, you've mentioned this term a couple of times now, um, a mashup or so, for clarification, uh, and for listeners that don't fully understand what you are uh, talking about, and this is a big theme, obviously, throughout the book, what is career mashupper, or what is a career mashupper?
0: So, we'll start off with what is a career mashup. Uh, a career mashup is the combination of your skills, experiences, interests, hobbies, goals, all combined to really define what it is that you personally want to do. I think many of us have had to sequentially and uh, parcel out those different aspects of what we enjoy doing, what we're strong at doing, what we love to do. But the reality is that what's happening is that we're trying to create, or we all want to create that hybrid of all these things that we've ever loved to do into this ideal career because what I've actually learned through my own experience and also observing through so many other people through my own podcast is that the career isn't something that you get. It's truly something that you create now that I mean, technology has changed so much. It's given a lot of people the opportunities to explore so many different areas of interest that may have, and you can, you can test and learn quite a few things. It gives you the opportunity to know what you may want to do earlier on or what you may not want to do earlier on. And you want to be able to bring all of that to bear, to make you happy, to fulfill your passion, to kind of drive that potential out of you. Um, so the career mashupper is that person who's been able to bring all those experiences and skills and so forth to bear, whether that is in a single job, meaning maybe you've worked in multiple industries and your job is a product manager, for example, but the fact that you worked in a lot of different industries and maybe before product manager, you worked in marketing, maybe you worked in finance, maybe you worked in other functions. You bring a unique lens to the job that you're doing such that you will think more outside the box. You will be able to envision, identify, um, plan things that others may not. And that's incredibly valuable because you'll have a more holistic way of looking at a problem. Or this mashup could be you having multiple jobs or roles of which you're parallel pathing. So think of it as a portfolio career where you're able to do a lot of the different things that you love. You're a career mashupper. You not only have your own business, <laughs> I know you're an author as well. You're also a podcaster. I mean, you have lots of different uh, experiences that you bring to the table, but you also have a lot of activities that you have probably going at any point in time. And that fulfills all of you. Or, or I think everybody is looking to find those things that can reflect their whole selves and fulfill them at the same time.
1: hmm the typical criticism for some somebody like myself or any of these career mashuppers that are out there is that, you know, said individual A or B, that person just isn't focused. They don't know exactly what they want. But as you outline in the book, this trend has almost taken over the previous trend or thinking around getting a cushy job, rising up the corporate ladder, et cetera. And now we're seeing more and more examples of this.
0: Absolutely. Well, I think the macro factor that is occurring, which has led to people trying to find their own career mashup or establishing their career mashup is this notion of fluidity. And so what do I mean by that? Is that if you first look at how people have been changing in their mindset and and what they want. It's been this shift from conformity, as I mentioned, you know, back 20 years ago was all about, you know, identifying yourself to be with a particular company, right? So you, you were, you were a reflection or at least your success and your stature was what company do you work for and what do you do now? It's about who are you personally? So how that's all transpired again, from a personal side is that, you know, we now have Common terms and and acceptance of people being gender fluid. There's gender neutrality, um, shifting roles in a household where many women now are the breadwinners, uh, and you have men who are serving as you know the primary caregivers for their children. You have more what I call race fluidity. There's more you know biracial, multiracial children and people around the world. You know my kids are half Chinese and and they're half white and they do actually just switch back and forth and say, well, because I'm Chinese, I am good at this. Or well, if I'm white, then I'm this. And it's very fascinating to see. And I've seen that actually with uh, other French children as well.
1: I want to come back to something you mentioned related to the portfolio career. Do you see the portfolio career, this idea of having, say, multiple streams of revenue, merging of interests, hobbies, passions, et cetera, monetizing that in some way, shape, or form? Is this the future of work for millennials and beyond? Like, how do you see this manifesting?
0: I do see this being the future of work for millennials, for Gen Zers, because you have to. The pandemic has demonstrated that being singularly sourced is risky. Mm -hmm. If you haven't been continuously learning and iterating yourself, keeping up with the market trends, you find many people now feeling Trapped, concerned, maybe behind the eight ball. Like, how do I pivot? Being scared to pivot because they haven't seen or, or they haven't prepared for change. Millennials have have experiences early on because of a recession. We know that, I think it was in a bank rate survey, 64% of millennials have had a side hustle or have thought about a side hustle mm-hmm. in their career. Mm-hmm. They figured it out. In fact, for Gen Zers, it's over 70%. They have seen that there's another way to fulfill their passions, and they start off with a side hustle. Maybe that side hustle turns into their full-time gig, but it's a way to manage risk, almost de-risk their career. But at the same time, it's a way to express their individuality and and define their own brand. Because now, everyone is a product. Everybody is a brand.
1: You know, with these numbers of side hustles, so 64% of millennials, 70% now of Gen Zers have side hustles. What if these folks want a corporate job with a Fortune 500 company? How is that world adjusting to this new way of thinking? Are big companies welcoming of employees who have multiple side hustles?
0: I think some might be. I don't think a majority, I don't believe a majority are. For the reason that they are still thinking in a way around conformity. I'm just trying to think of the best way of putting this, but those companies that are progressive have realized that they need to constantly be testing and learning along with their employees. I think companies are still trying to figure out what they need. Because it's changing so fast, it's hard to change. Large companies typically default to what they know. Reason being is that many people who are in management positions or leadership positions may have a more traditional way of looking at careers because they've been more singularly threaded. Mm-hmm. As we all know, there have been um, a lot of sort of conflicts of sort of mindset and approach between millennial generation and those of older generations. Um, there's been a lack of understanding, I think, when Mm -hmm. it comes down to it. So, you know, again, probably a long-winded answer, but large companies are struggling. I believe that millennials and Gen Zers see that they have alternatives, that they don't have to start their career path by going to a big company or even a mid-sized company, necessarily. They've been exposed to so many entrepreneurial examples out there where somebody has a great idea and they've been starting early and they see that they can start off as a CEO and start off at the top from the beginning. Now, whether or not they can realize the success of that idea is another thing, but they see that as an avenue.
1: So it seems like individuals who have had a career lane, let's say for the past couple of decades, haven't risen up through the ranks only to find themselves now out of a job as a result of pandemic are having a very hard time reinventing themselves or pivoting, as you said. Like if you spend 20 years in retail, held a senior role or even a C suite gig and were now laid off, you're you're in some kind of trouble, no?
0: Yes. Agreed. Definitely agreed. The the challenge with those who have been very singularly threaded is that they unfortunately haven't Probably, and I'm trying not to be too negative <laughs> admittedly, but
1: no, but I mean, this is this is the thesis you put forth in the book, right? So w- without filter, um, let's comment objectively about what's going on here.
0: Those that haven't been able to test and learn throughout their career are at a deficit because by testing and learning, you are also giving yourself the opportunity to understand what's going on in the marketplace, to be more in touch with the constant changes, to also create new avenues for yourself for opportunities. At the end of the day, we know that technology has completely disrupted industries You know, in, in a matter of months or and then obviously years. And so people have been left without a job. This has been happening for 20 years. But if There's this tendency to put your blinders on. It shouldn't be surprising that all of a sudden, wait, I haven't upskilled. I haven't looked at what else is out there. And now you're in this unfortunate situation. So what do I do next? A lot of that comes down to having fear of trying something new. And when you have realized that your life and your career now is a constant beta, that Uncertainty is the new certainty, particularly now during the pandemic. You're going to be constantly in this mode to continuously improve yourself in all different ways, to expand your network, to expand your skills because of the fact that the world is changing so fast, or you need to start thinking of yourself as a business to define your unique position, define the value that you can add, determine the areas that you can play in, and then subsequently set forth a strategic plan to get there. So you're applying your business skills to yourself. And I emphasize soft skills in the book for a very particular reason, is that if you look at all of the, the um, reports that are out there about the number one skill that employers are looking for, and they recognize this, Uh, And even, you know, the analyst firms, it's soft skills, communication, problem solving, growth mindset. That is what is going to help accelerate people towards, you know, whatever it is that they're looking for. Because let's face it, we all have to communicate. We all have to connect with people. Everybody wants also a human connection. And so hard skills get you so far, but it is those soft skills that are going to truly help elevate you. To get to where you want to be
1: in your research connie do you believe that these companies have a good way of determining whether or not you over index in these areas like it's all well and good to say we want to hire folks with the growth mindset we want to hire you know folks that are empathetic or have great communication skills it's another to execute during a hiring process where the company is you know north of fifty thousand employees
0: absolutely i think it's very hard for companies to identify that in an interview. I think that's why you find so many situations in which you think you have the perfect person, everybody likes them, they start the job, and they don't deliver. What has been fascinating through these podcast interviews, honestly, um, I've had the chance to interview some really interesting people who have established their own businesses where there have been companies who have looked at their hiring processes in a different way. And it is applying that agile slash test and learn mindset to the hiring process. One example is uh, this company that I uh, interviewed, the founder. It is a private equity firm. You know, he, he made $500,000, uh, I think, when he was 18 on Facebook. That said, what they've identified early on, and they use the process of microtesting um, to find product market fit for the products they work on, but they apply that to people. They know that even so they talk to somebody, interviews are not what they're going to use to determine if this is the right person. They have that person do the job or they test them out to see if it's a fit because no matter what they say to them, com- convey their expectations, um, no matter what that recipient or the potential hire may say, they know that doesn't necessarily translate in the real world. So they test that out. I know for another company that I work with, it's a podcast production company. And when they started out, it was all about testing and learning. The CEO, you know, was a solopreneur. He needed to add people onto his projects because he was getting so much work. What he did was he started off small by giving them parts of the project to see how they would perform. And if they performed well to what he expected or what he was hoping for, he would give them more. And he wanted to see if they would go above and beyond. And that's how he started to build out his core team.
1: I love this notion of people, company fit. Totally makes sense. Very intuitive and smart. Absolutely. You know what? Thinking about what's going on in in workplace culture right now. Corporate employees, those folks that were great at putting in FaceTime and playing office politics, you know, the people who excelled at the in-person meeting, they were great at looking busy, they were regulars at all the after-work drinks. Now that we've gone almost fully remote this year, we've got kind of a proverbial spotlight on results, let's say. Do you see these employee archetypes now having a real hard time proving their worth?
0: Yes, because it now is about showing just you have, you do have to execute you it is not about the fluff anymore you have to demonstrate that you can deliver i see a broader macro trend of strategy to execution people are realizing you just can't be the ideator you can't just be the person who is propagating those thoughts they want to see can you actually do the work i see that leaders need to be able to think and do simultaneously for the reason being that how can you direct people to fulfill against a a vision, a task or whatever it is, unless you really know what it takes to do it, particularly now we're all virtual or many, I should say, are virtual. It becomes even more imperative for you to be able to communicate how to actually get there, not at a high level, this is the idea. This is so great and schmooze and all that. It's you have to prove, you know, and show that substance that you know what you're talking about. You have to build that credibility. Now, you know, there there are a lot of people who are very good at at selling. Uh, but the value really comes from, I believe, people showing that they know what they're actually able to do.
1: How is networking changing? What do you see? I mean, there's some obvious trends, right? We've gone remote, more Zoom calls, um, more FaceTime, whatever. LinkedIn has gone crazy. What else are you seeing?
0: Well, I think if we take a step back and think about what networking really needs to be, it's about building authentic relationships. I'd say it's not about how in terms of the trend, it's about what people want out of networking. Networking has... Some degree of a dirty connotation associated with it. Many people have thought of networking as, oh, I gotta go to this, you know, happy hour or this event and and schmooze and talk to people that I don't really want to talk to, or I gotta, I have to get a lead out of this. If I go to this conference and we've paid this much money, I hope I can find somebody who can give me business. So you go in with a very transactional mindset, not one of finding mutual value with one another treating this as a value exchange from the beginning. And so the broader trend is that it's become really transactional, whether it's in person, whether it's digital. I think in the pandemic, it's actually accelerated the interactions being even more transactional. I'm sure you've gotten a ton of LinkedIn requests of people who just want to connect and they're selling you something and you have no idea who they are. Or there have been attempts to connect with you, but you could tell in their first message, it's really all about them or even when you connect with them in person the conversation is all about them so but what people really want and you've seen this on a on a more macro level is folks are yearning for true authentic connections and relationships as we've moved towards being a more digitally focused society mm-hmm. we've lost a lot of that human connectedness find the mutual connection on an authentic level? How can you really help one another? How do you get to know people again, such that you like each other, that you want to help, you want to help one another. That's where the power of networking really comes in. Not let's get reconnected because I have an agenda for myself, which is how most people are operating right now.
1: Yeah. That's so interesting.
0: When I set out to just go off on my own, I didn't know exactly what that would look like. I just knew that. There were other people who had done it successfully before me, Mm -hmm. wanted to learn from them. And I knew it required connecting with people and going outside of the current network that I had or reestablishing connections with people that I had. So I had started my own journey of trying to understand networking because until that point, I had only done it to network for the next job, not to build broader relationships to help me in different ways like it is now. So when I went out and just met different people, I was observing behavior, having started off as a marketing researcher, kind of default to that. Hmm. And it was very interesting for me to see these different interactions, people where you naturally get connected to them, um, through folks that you may know how the conversation would start. And some were very much about getting to know you as a person and trying to find that common personal ground first before determining how you could Help one another in a professional sense, which was a great situation. But others were, it was very much about the individual, what their successes were. Almost they need to prove how great they were to you first. And then asking, what do you do? And almost probing to see if there was value in continuing or building a relationship with you. Because it's very clear that they were looking to extract something. It wasn't one that was about augmenting this potential relationship with you know two people who could help one another. It was about extracting, taking, identifying what could I use you for, not what could I help you with.
1: The specialist versus the generalist argument. So we're seeing kind of this devaluing of generalists almost in real time. And you know, I think because of this world being so increasingly tech enabled, it is much easier to, to hyper-specialize. And, you know, you can pick off numerous examples of this. Even the ad agency world has become so much more fragmented. Agencies hyper-specialize and say just Facebook or Instagram media buys or whatever. And they just do that. Whereas 10 years ago, you know, a digital agency, a full service digital agency could quote unquote do anything. Where What, what are you seeing In this world of specialization versus generalization. And where does your whole point of view on the mashup fit into this?
0: I think to find the traction that you want, you have to now be a generalist while also specializing maybe in a particular area that you're passionate about. Reason being is that everything that you do today is interconnected in some way with another function because of technology. So bring something to market. If you're solely focused on one area, you're not going to be able to do it. So if you're a developer and you have this cool product idea that you want to launch, inevitably, you got to learn online marketing. If you want to get it out there, you got to put up a website. You need to be able to write something and communicate what it is to do so. So you have to actually think and do expansively, but your strength may be in coding. But you can't solely be only focused in coding. I think those that gain the most traction within a company can see how all the different cross-functional teams fit together. When they can look holistically at a problem, that means you can think strategically about what the problem is and how to solve it and how all the pieces fit together to break through those barriers and create the traction. No different than a really good agency vendor will be able to anticipate the problems of their clients, to know what's really happening, to almost guide them and be their right-hand person to say, hmm, I believe X, Y, and Z is going to be the things that will prevent you from being able to sell this idea. In let us help you craft the right way to do so in the pitch. Let us help you craft the right, maybe sample execution of it so that you can get the buy off, get the eventual resources. To make that happen, if the only thing you know is digital marketing, there's no way you're gonna be able to do that.
1: Is there anything that we didn't hit on that you wanted to chat about before we wrap up?
0: So, the main thing I want to share is that for those of you who have felt like you've been boxed in in your career and you've been sampling a lot of different areas, and it's been almost received as being somewhat aimless. Realize that there's probably a reason for you choosing that path, that there are a lot of different areas you want to play in, and you don't necessarily want to be boxed in. You want to be able to bring your whole self to work. It's not about being left brain or right brain anymore, it's about being whole brain. So realize there's something that's driving it, but that you can create a plan and establish an approach to align all these different interests into something that will leverage all of that. They will converge at some point. It may not be clear right now, but they will. And just be strategic in what it is that you're looking to do to begin with. And then subsequently think about that plan to help you get there.
1: Connie, thank you so much. Strategicmomentum.co is where they could find your podcast and also wherever they get their podcasts. And by the way, amazing work advice on career development, decision-making, personal development, social enterprise, women in business, and more. So encourage listeners to go there. Where else can they connect with you?
0: They can connect with me on LinkedIn. Uh, so just look up Connie Steele, C-O-N-N-I-E-S-T-E-E-L-E. You can connect with me on Twitter at Flywheel Asosh. Uh, Or you can also look at my personal one, so Connie W. Steele, and also on Instagram, Connie Wang Steele.
1: Connie, this was awesome. Thanks so much for the time today.
0: Oh, I appreciate you actually having me on. Thank you so much.
1: Thanks, Connie. That's it, guys, for today. Thanks so much for listening. E2 is brought to you by Scriberbase. Want to build recurring revenue for your business? Visit Scriberbase.com for more info. If you enjoy the show, download, share, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can also visit us at glow.fm slash e2 to become a supporter. Until next time, make today count with whatever it is you're working on.